89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton, and it is so good to be having a chat uh, to an Aussie, but who's abroad, over in the UK at the moment by the wonders of Zoom, the author of the new book, A War of Loves, David Bennett joins me. G'day, David. G'day, Clayton. Wonderful to be tuning in here from Oxford. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's great to be finally speaking true English in Australian style. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> you know, none I'm, of this uh, British stuff, you know. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm guessing you don't get to roll out the old g'day all that often over in the UK. I don't. No, I no. do not. I Yeah, I miss it. And every time I hear that Aussie twang in the streets, you know, like, I miss, I miss, I miss Australia. I'm not sure if I'm an expat, actually, what I would call myself after seven years being here. But that's it. And yeah. you, are, you are studying at Oxford as well. So um, maybe just yes. briefly, briefly tell us what you, you're studying there and we'll sort of eventually join back up with that part of the story. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently doing a DPhil, which is the fancy Oxford term for just a doctorate uh, <laughs> uh, in Christian ethics and religious ethics, um, looking particularly at the topic of desire. So sounds very fancy, but really it's just about, you know, what, what, what happens in our hearts and what, what ethical importance does that happen in our, mm. have for our lives? Um, and I'm looking particularly at the question of you know, homosexuality, same-sex desire, being gay, and then kind of contemporary theology related yeah. to that. So, yeah. Fa- fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it would be, absolutely, for sure. Um, and this this study is obviously very uh, close to you and, and your world as well. And so let's talk a little bit about your story um, as we go through. Um, take us back to uh, those sort of young teenage years and take us through what was going on for you and and some decisions you made about actually saying look I I am going to come out as gay could you take us through that yes absolutely so as a young kind of 14 year old I just have these memories of many spiritual fads uh you know exploring new age religions buddhism I was a reformed Jew for a week I uh explored wicca and neo-pagan religions uh, and so I was really experimenting as a young person and I was raised in an agnostic atheist household and we didn't really think the idea of God was something feasible for life. We thought it was just a bit kind of, you know, the new atheist style, typical Aussie. I don't need that in my life, you know, religion and all that. Um, and so, yeah, that was the culture of our family, but we had religious relatives and we thought, you know, um, tried to kind of respect their faith, but we definitely didn't have this positive view of it. We thought, no, this is definitely not the way to go. And I was, you know, 14 in a Christian school. And so we did respect kind of spirituality or that was an important part of your life. But yeah, there was never ever really anything given to me by my parents and what to believe, which in a way was a gift too, because, you know, I was able to really explore and look at you know, the questions of life and ended up becoming what's called a postmodernist, a French existentialist, and really was looking deep into things and trying my best to find meaning. But one of the really big parts of that was that, you know, I knew I was exclusively attracted to men. And that, that really started around the age of 10, as I, you know, started to hit puberty 11, 12, and just became really clear to me. And it was quite a scary thing, actually. Uh, when you're 
not just in a Christian school, because there were many people there that showed me lots of love too. It wasn't all negative, but I definitely picked up the messaging in the Christian world that like this was not a good thing. Uh, and I, I suppose I, I was confronted with the problem of self-rejection where, you know, within me was this kind of battle to accept myself. And I think, you know, it doesn't really matter what context you're in, although those contexts can change the way you deal with that. And sometimes it can be negative, but yeah, I think it's just a hard thing when you're confronted with your sexuality at that age and you just don't have the you know the resources to just deal with it well and um and so it was really hard for me and I, I really struggled but I kept you know trying to kind of question it I went to kind of a liberal church you know, metropolitan community church and tried to kind of almost become a Christian in a way but never really did and never really found anything in Christianity and just thought well I've read the Bible. It doesn't seem too positive about me. So I'll pass, pass right along. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that was kind of the beginning point of my questioning and, you know, God setting up my story. Uh, and I suppose I was, yeah, all the way through my teenage years, right up to university, I did become quite angry with Christians. And I, I remember being at university and seeing the pale blue posters of the Christian union and being kind of in labor left and thinking, oh, I just can't stand these, these annoying Christians trying to like brainwash me with this, you know, delusional idea of being in a like fluffy relationship with a, uh, you know, first century Jewish carpenter in the sky. Like I thought, what is wrong with it? Why do they think this? You know, it's so ridiculous. And, you know, so I took gay marriage march posters and put them all over the, uh, you know, the Christian Union posters all over the campus as my kind of statement of justice, you know, against LGBTQI plus oppression. Uh, and I think, you know, what I sensed in myself at that age was a kind of bitterness and a kind of guile that, just I really didn't like it in myself and I didn't like the person I was becoming and so I suppose I started to question you know the secularist way of understanding everything really I just yeah. it started to crack for me it yeah. didn't make sense of things and David you talked about sort of the it was this self acceptance that was a part of what you're trying to to go for and and as you said you know I think it was about that age of 13 14 was when you said look I'm actually telling everybody this is this is how I'm experiencing my sexuality in terms of I'm gay, and then on towards universities, you said as you're you're exploring more of what that meant. I suppose in that sense, um, do you feel like there was was it at the age of 13, 14 that you went actually I, this is who I am? Was it never actually answered, and you're constantly pushing for that, and this is why you felt that angst? Was it was there a moment where you actually went? no I know who I am and now I'm just dealing with stuff of life or was it always a process you know I think that's a really fascinating question because when you're gay I think there's something of a common humanity you share with everyone we're all confronted with the question of God and God's existence that's a universal human question but there's also a specificity to being gay a difference in that question and in, in broader questions of life. And so for me, it was really about, as I said, battling this self-rejection. Henry Nouwen, who 
fantastic spiritual writer um, himself was a gay or same-sex attracted Catholic priest. He talks about the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is the voice of self-rejection that, that denies that you're actually the beloved. And he says that the core truth of our existence is that we're beloved of God. And I think the battle for me was really a war of loves, you know, was the belovedness of, of, who God said I am in Jesus, was that the center of who I was or was it something else? Mm. Mm. And I think really what I found, you know, as I was going, you know, questioning all of this as a young person into my university years is that actually the world didn't really know what love was. And, you know, the trope love is love, which I heard everywhere in the gay world, did it make a whole bunch of sense to me because love was just a feeling, love was just this kind of, you know, rush of stimulation or, but in, at the end of the day, it kind of failed you and no one would ever talk about that. They just present the good side, you know, of, of what they saw love as. But we know that, you know, in the scriptures, it says we know what love is that Christ laid down his life for us. And I think inadvertently I was always searching for love. I was never searching for God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that's what really was going on. And it wasn't, in, it's not until you experience that, you know, that you're delivered from that self-rejection. So I thought as an activist, if I can just reject self-rejection, then I'll be free. But I was still controlled by self-rejection. And I think we all struggle with that, not just gay people, but I think it's particularly yeah. harsh on gay people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- this is an, uh, a, an acknowledged ignorant question um, <laughs> in, in that regards, in that um, all of us, as we go through our teenage years and as we're trying to understand ourselves, trying to understand the world, trying to understand purpose, perhaps about spirituality as well, have angst, have understanding, have have a whole lot of things that we, we're trying to deal with on a whole lot of different issues. Um, you know, we, we're talking to you and we, we're obviously focusing around um, homosexuality and in, in, in your sexuality in that sense, um, it, it feels like perhaps as we talk about that, that um, everything went through just that filter. Um, and, mm. and that seems perhaps unfair. Uh, I suppose my mm. question is this, and this is why I'm saying it's an ignorant question. I really don't have, have a clue here is that was it for you something that you did always put through the filter, even as you asked all these other questions that a whole lot of other people might've asked that, it did seem to need to go through this filter because that's how everyone saw, saw you or were you able to separate some of those questions that you were doing? And, and there was a sexuality filter here and there was a, a God filter here and there was just general angst of being a teenager here or whatever else. <laughs> if you understand that and follow my, my logic. There. Definitely. Well, I think, you know, it's very, it's difficult because you don't want your whole life to be defined by just your sexuality. Like you're a whole human and, there's so much more that's, you know, interesting about a person. However, it is a kind of question that's so central to your personhood that, you know, it's bound to always keep cropping up and you have to, you have to face it. And so there, there is always this kind of wrestle of do I, what do I make my ultimate identity do, you know, and I think that's a very human question. I think we all, you know, try to, grasp onto certain things for identity and for significance and I think I saw that making my sexuality at a certain point you know the whole center of my significance didn't really work so I think it's just there were so many different things I tried including you know my music collection going to concerts I don't know 
a bunch of different things that, you know, I looked to for significance and transcendence. But I think ultimately we have this God-shaped hole in our hearts, you know, and it's not until, you know, Augustine says we're restless until we rest in God. And I think I really felt that restlessness as a young person, just trying to find things. And my sexuality is probably one of the top ones, if not the top in terms of where I found significance. And I think in our Western societies, we have made romantic love the ultimate but I don't think it really works as an ultimate. Um, And I think that's one of the deep parts of my work at Oxford is saying, well, how is God actually a better fit, if you like, (laughs) than, 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 than romantic love? I'm looking forward to exploring that uh, a little bit more as we go through. But up next, we're going to be back with David Bennett in just a moment uh, as we hear the moment that he really met Jesus uh, and what that was like for him. Uh, You might have heard him a couple of moments ago also talk about that phrase, War of Loves. Uh, That is the name of his new book as well. So we're going to even have more of a conversation about uh, what it was like writing a book. So plenty more coming with our conversation with David Bennett here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and it is just wonderful to be able to have a chat to the author of the new book, A War of Loves. Uh, David Bennett joins us and we've been hearing a bit about his story Um, in his early teenage years, um, came out as gay and then uh, through, I think, fair fair description, became really a gay activist, uh, David, over the next years uh, until your late teens as well. Uh, there was a moment for you uh, where you definitely met Jesus, if that's the right phrase. I'm not sure if that's the phrase you use, but could you could you take us through that story? Yes, it was you know such a an amazing story, really, the way in which God came into my life. Now I said you know before in the interview that I really wasn't looking for God or wasn't really interested in anything to do with Abrahamic faith. Uh, by the time I was about you know 18, 19 years of age. Uh, and I, but I described that there was always this, these kind of signals of transcendence that kept reminding me of what I'd call like spirituality. And you know, I need to get back in touch with my spiritual side or, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling like I have meaning in my life. Uh, and so I just remember being on Oxford street at a club one night and I had a little journal that I would write semi-philosophical questions in and I'd often just casually pass them around you know this particular club that had a bit more of an intellectual side to it uh a bit also quite pretentious but you know you're you're 18 19 so you can't escape that entirely and uh so you know I put the question that night what is love you know in the journal and I handed around the club hoping that I'd get some kind of deeper response and then try to find out who, who wrote it or, you know, befriend the person that wrote it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just received terrible, you know, answers like, what is love, baby? Don't you know. <laughs> uh, just, just superficial responses. And I, I was really depressed actually in the cab on the way home, looking at what people wrote. And I think you just got this sense in my generation of people being completely unable to answer the question and almost exhausted by it so that's where I got to so kind of like um you know in the bible Solomon got to this point where he said you know there's nothing new under the sun everything's been done before and I got to that point 
and the secular ideal of love just cracked just wasn't working and so I start I, I, I suppose I started to sense some kind of awakening at that point something was different and um it wasn't until I was at the Christmas lunch table 2008 with my Pentecostal fundamentalist uncle, uh, yeah. you know, who used to read these apologetics books, you know, and who was, um, had all of these controversial opinions and yeah. <laughs> uh, my cultural enemy as a gay activist, Yes, um, you know, and at 19, you, you are a gay activist, but how much gay activism you can get done you know, it was, it was, you know, and I, I was involved in marches and things like that and in, in, in university politics. So, that, so I was definitely headed to that trajectory. So there I was with my uncle and, you know, I, he mentions God at the Christmas lunch table. Now we're a Greek family. So religion and politics has to come up at some point and we will talk about it and loudly and, and lovingly, <laughs> but not without a fight, you know? And so, uh, you know, so my uncle, you know, mentions God. And so I'm, I'm just ready to intellectually defeat him. And I said, oh, you Christians think you have the absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. And you can't communicate truth with language. I mean, I've studied postmodern, you know, philosophy at university and it's just ridiculous. And what about all the other people who believe all these other religions or none? What about gay people? What about women? What about all the oppression? What about the crusades? What about suffering? You know, so just firing everything I've got in my arsenal at my <laughs> uncle. And, um, you know, he turns back to me both lovingly and kind of with a bit of a chutzpah, you know, and <laughs> he says, well, David, you just said there's no absolute truth and that is an absolute truth and you just communicated that with language so you just doubly contradict <laughs> so it just kind of like intellectually defeated me in one foul swoop and so I you know I stormed out of the room theatrically with a bit of gay sass you know yes. and uh <laughs> and he he you know we left the Christmas lunch and he was in the car with my aunt and the Holy Spirit um you know Christians often get something called prophecy which it's where God will communicate a word to them about something. Um, and God had really given my uncle during our conversation a word, a prophetic word about me becoming, you know, a Christian in three months' time. Wow. And my mum had actually become a Christian, you know, three years before this. And I had yeah. become really angry with her and said, you know, you have to choose between the delusion in your head and your real son standing right in front of you. So that wow. really had brought conflict into our family and how had your mum um dealt with that by the way i mean that's sorry we'll keep on your story but that's a fascinating yeah. point just there no i think it's a really important part of it i mean for her it was really harrowing it was really horrible to see this how her faith had impacted me in a negative way uh but she said to me you know i don't have to choose between you and god by loving god i love you better mm. and she kind of just disrefused that dichotomy that I tried to put her in yeah so then um you know there I am <laughs> yeah December 2008 that this word has, has been told to my mom I have no idea about it uh I'm just living my best life <laughs> you know and I'm I've just got back from a political conference in March so this was three months after my uncle got the word and I was in a cab going over Sydney Harbour Bridge 
And I just remember there were all these really amazing parties in the Eastern suburbs that I was invited to, but I felt compelled to go to this one pub in Surrey Hills, you know, and I was like, why do I want to go there? You know, I just oh. felt I should go. And it was really bizarre. I remember that night. Why, why did I not go to those other parties? So it was almost like something was leading me, you know? And so I got to this pub, the Dolphin Hotel in Surrey Hills and sat up in the bar there. And there was this girl from my university and she'd got her film into the largest short film competition in the world. And people had been talking about her and she just had this really amazing kind of Audrey Hepburn-esque beauty and this really lovely character that really impressed me. And I never in a million years would think she was a Christian. So I go up to her and I'm, you know, on the editorial team of the university magazine and I want an interview with her about this and we sit down and I asked her how did you get your film into the largest short film competition in the world Tropfest and she said to me well uh do you want the real answer or do you want like the interview answers I want the real answer so she said what was God and so my face kind of scrunched up at that point I was like oh you know <laughs> it was just seriously like shocking to me and she'd made her film about disabled people and I had an uncle that was you know mentally handicapped and it really spoke to me her her work uh it was profound and so I was almost gobsmacked by the fact she was she was a Christian and so we get into this conversation about you know God and I just said, look, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I've read the Bible. I'm gay. I think I'm fine. You know, thank you for talking about your faith. That's good for you. I'm glad it brings you happiness. You know, that kind of thing in, in our conversation. And she said to me, just kind of you know, out of the blue, she said, I wouldn't usually say this, but like, I really feel the love of God for you, David. And like, I know that must be really hard to understand your sexuality and faith. And I don't have all the answers, but like, have you experienced the love of God? And it was just that question just stopped me in my tracks. And it was this if kind of time stopped, you know, and I was just in this transcendent moment when she asked me that. And she said, I don't usually do this, but I really feel I need to pray for you. And, you know, this is just the love of God for you. Like, I don't usually, like, this is quite amazing actually like I just have you know would you want do you want me to pray for you and I said yeah well I mean I'm an agnostic so look I don't think anything's going to happen but good luck you know and so you know she launches into these kind of of amazing Christian prayer and I'm slightly skeptical but slightly amazed by what's happening and as she prayed for me I just felt this tingling sensation on top of my head it was like someone someone pouring oil Mm. over my head and this voice just asked me a question I said like do you want me and you know you often question these things intellectually is this wish fulfillment and am I just trying to like make this up but it was so real and it it really uh completely turned things 180 degrees around for me because I was like God's real and that changes everything and I knew that in this moment and, you know, I'd done Buddhist meditation and all sorts of spiritual things and none of them, this was real. And that's the thing that's really difficult to communicate to people when you experience God. It's so amazing. It completely blows 
every category that you have it is beyond you know what you would ever expect um and so that's why i called the book as well the subtitle the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering jesus because it was that unexpected anyway then i saw this kind of veil over my heart and this darkness over my heart that was kind of trying to stop what was happening it was a really bizarre sensation <laughs> and i was like i don't want that darkness whatever that is and then as that was happening, I felt this pinprick of light kind of pierce the dark veil over my heart and go right into the center of my heart and this breath entering me. And mm -hmm. we have a term for that in Christianity. Jesus talks about how you need to be born again, which just means you're reconnected to God by the Holy Spirit. And that happened in that moment. And it was so incredible. I felt this breath breathing within my lungs. It was like, what is this? <laughs> it's a very visceral powerful bodily experiences of God just happening yeah. to me. And then the voice of God saying, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and savior? Um, that same voice. And there was this huge kind of tug of war over my, my soul. I could feel this darkness saying, don't, don't say yes. Like this is wrong. This is brainwashing. This is false religion. This is all this kind of, but very loud voice and this soft voice just saying, you know, this is true. This is real. I love you. Mm. They come into my arms kind of thing, like a very loving voice. Wow. And it was just, <laughs> yeah, I can't describe that five minutes. It was like something huge was happening over me and I just, I couldn't understand it. You know, it was beyond my yeah. understanding. I just knew that light was the way. Yeah. I knew that that light was the way. And so I said, yes. And I, yeah. that I became a Christian and, just felt the love of God pour out over me and went home that night. My mum was waiting up and I knew I had to eat my words. <laughs> and she asked me like, you know, what's happened to you? And I said, well, mum, I just think I've, um, I've just, uh, I kind of you know, vomited a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> I think I've become a Christian. Um, to which my mum, you know, she's an opera singer. So yeah, she can really right. And she was like, hallelujah, you know, I made an alliance with God that if he saved you, then I know he's the God of the impossible because you're impossible to save. <laughs> and that's really, yeah, that's how I became a Christian. Just, uh, <laughs> just incredible. And, and uh, I mean, I'm guessing you then heard that, obviously you heard the story about, you know, your, your uncle saying that about three months before, and that would be sort of mind blowing again after the experience that you just had too. Well, yeah, my mom said to me, you know, do you know about the prophecy? Like, do, yeah. do you know that, like, your uncle said that it'd be three months? I'm like, of course I don't know. You know about this? Like, <laughs> you know, and just this kind of like, what is this divine conspiracy? How do you know about this? You know, <laughs> and I actually had rang my aunt and uncle who I was estranged from. Like, I never yes. called them and asked them, like, about this word. And they told yeah. me, yeah, yeah, we, three months ago. And I, I was just amazed. Crazy. I kind of floated up to my bed. <laughs> it's really. It's but, you know, I think it's just the love of God, you know, it's just when he loves you, it, it changes everything. It just changes yeah. everything. I wasn't the same person anymore, mm. but my we, mind struggled to understand it, you know, yeah. of course. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to explore next. Uh, you're right to hang around with us a bit longer, David, as we Absolutely. Keep... Excellent. So we're going to explore a bit more next, uh, how David then could put together this experience, this understanding, this decision that he'd made to follow Jesus with all of what he had previously understood 
that Christianity was saying about uh, him as somebody who was uh, gay. How did that start working together? What was the questions he asked? What was the decisions he started making? What were the different decisions he started making because of this moment that changed his world forever? David Bennett is the author of the book, A War of Loves. He's joining us and we'll be chatting more with him next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light in conversation with Clayton and David Bennett joining us from the UK. Uh, He is the author of the book, A War of Loves. He might be in the UK, but he is an Aussie. I've been over there uh, seven years now, studying at Oxford, just finishing off his doctorate as well in um, sort of the ethical understanding of desire when it comes to, to uh, understanding faith and looking through that prism as well. We we'll, might talk a bit more about that in a couple of moments time. If you have just joined us, um, David's story in, in a quick summary uh, uh, in his early teenage years came out as gay, uh, was a gay activist for a number of years, had a remarkable moment of experiencing Jesus in a pub as someone was having a chat uh, to him and praying. And, and we're sort of picking up the story in that moment. Um, David, I, I am really wanting to understand um, how you then went from this experience that was very real and you knew it was different and your life was changed forever because of what this moment was that God was breathing into you, as you, you described, with all this understanding of all of your intellectual understanding up until that point and, and your actions had been well, Christianity hates me because of my sexuality and all these sorts of things. How did you start putting those together? Um, and then I suppose, were there different decisions you made because of this experience as well? Fantastic question. I think it was really difficult actually when I first became a Christian because I couldn't trust the Bible. I couldn't trust the typical authorities that Christians trust for their faith because I felt like, they alienated me, you know, as a person. So I remember having some other experiences, which I won't go into an interview, but they're in the book. And my mom trying to show me, you know, very lovingly where they were in the Bible so that I could kind of confirm some of the experiences of God I was having. But even things to the point where I started to actually quote the Bible, like just verbatim. I remember once saying, the Holy Spirit pulls the love of God out in our hearts. And that's like, a really important verse from Paul, you know, and I hated Paul because Paul was anti-women, anti-gay people in my mind, you know, and I didn't really understand Paul. I thought I did, um, you know, and I talked to N.T. Wright about this, actually, who's a top kind of Bible scholar, you know, in the Christian world. And he said, you know, the Bible's always been something I've loved from a young age and I've never understood how you can feel alienated by it. And I think that's something that the church needs to understand about for gay people is the Bible's really just not easy, you know, and um, it takes time to understand it. And it's funny now because I look at those verses and they actually become some of my favorite verses because they're actually indicative of the fact that the early church was full of gay people who believed in Jesus like me and that there's a whole you know, thousands and thousands of gay people who have believed in Jesus throughout the history of the church mm. and who, you know, so at the beginning of my walk, I'd say I was what's called side A. This is kind of gay Christian language. Sorry, there's lots of language in this question. You kind of have to, side A is when you believe that, you know, gay marriage is fine as a Christian and you can kind of proceed with that. And um, then there's side B, which is 
you know, no, God's called me to abstain from gay marriage. That's not his way. It's not how he created and instituted marriage in the beginning. Um, and so I went from a journey really from being side A and storming down the front of the church, telling the church leaders they needed to change their doctrine of marriage or, you know, they were oppressing me to side B, which no, actually the Bible's clear on this. And God's called me to live this kind of quirky, fun, alternative life of celibacy mm. that is really misunderstood in secular society. And actually now, yeah, I live as a celibate gay Christian and I love it. You know, I actually have felt so much freedom in being celibate and you wouldn't expect that. You know, a lot of people think it's about suppressing or oppressing yourself. It's really not. It's about reorienting your desires around a different goal, about a, yeah. around a different horizon to, to just romantic love with no God. But if God's real and this presence is real and this intimacy is real, Jesus really did die and rise from the dead then you can really hang everything on it and you can reorient your desires around that. And yeah. it's a very safe and wonderful thing that I suppose has really brought me a lot of flourishing, even though everyone seems to want to say, a lot of people want to say around me that it doesn't, but it really has, you know, and I think that's what people don't understand is that actually celibacy is about love, you know, in the Christian faith. It's not about religion. It's not about trying to live up to a law and please people or please God. It's about being a gift. Um, it's about giving yourself as a gift, like a holy gift to God. And it's actually a deeply romantic thing Yeah. Um, yeah. when it's done right and it's not, you know, being motivated by a false religion. So yeah. I suppose that's where I've ended up, you know, in my journey is giving myself to God in that way and saying, actually, I want to live according to the scriptures and according to the tradition of the church and really discovering through my education the beauty of that vision that's the you know the journey that i've been on yeah um david i i think as you talk about that and you said you know some some christians perhaps are thinking that's um you know that no no you've got to be like this you'll be like that um the question i, I come to with that is um there are, I, I think all of us especially if we've chosen to follow jesus if we've uh, said this is it have different things that we have to um overcome through his power in us we have to choose different things there's different aspects of that um but it could be different and varied for each of us it feels like for somebody who is um same-sex attracted that um there is an automatic thing that they have to deal with and this is something that they have to to, to overcome um, and so, therefore, a choice into celibacy, it's almost a channel, whereas um, someone else might say, well, it's it was this struggle over here or it's that struggle over here, but it feels like it's almost prescribed. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like the way you describe way you described that then, though, uh, was certainly not what it was, that it was a, it was a, a joy and it was a, it's a freedom, even though, yes, this is something that you've had to question and go through, and I'm guessing mm -hmm. um, feel it as much as spiritualize the understanding of it yeah i think that the the difficult thing is sure you know as you journey as a christian in the way that i have you know you you realize oh the bible is real and so many of the experiences of god that i had started to help me trust the bible trust what it was saying and to see it in a very different light to i think how our culture just very quickly rushes over it 
and doesn't really understand it. And, it, you know, it's been quite hurtful to me seeing the way that this is discussed in the public sphere really actually oppresses me as a you know, gay Christian. So I think, gosh, you know, this is so negative. I don't want to be part of this conversation. <laughs> I just want to follow Jesus. And, you know, I do want to be part of the conversation, but not like that, you know. <laughs> um, and so I think what's really hard is more even just the cultural social aspect of this and the way we've had the conversations been so terrible that our understanding is too superficial and for what this calls for and I think what I love about being gay is how it's called me so deeply into God and so deeply into Jesus and it's brought me to a level of faith that I would probably never have found if I wasn't gay and so there is this kind of uh, you know beautiful part of, of, of my journey of as you say having that direct question about my sexuality, pulling me deeper into Jesus and making me have to search him out. And, you know, the Bible says, if you seek him, you'll find him. And I think I really had to earnestly seek him. And actually for me, changing my sexual ethic was just one part of a much bigger picture of seeking Jesus. Um, and really understanding what radical discipleship looks like. Yeah. It really means giving everything to Jesus. And I think the world is kind of hungry for that. I think the world is kind of sick of this superficial Christianity where you kind of just become a Christian and that's it. You just like everyone else. Yeah. I think people want to see what it looks like and they want it to be real. And obviously no one's perfect. Like there are days where, you know, I find the idea of celibacy difficult in our culture, but it's not because of Jesus. It's not because of ultimately what the Bible teaches. It's, it's because of our culture and, it's insistence that like romantic love is the only way and yeah. closing out any other options for people who want to question or live differently. And yeah. it's so ironic because we're meant to live in a liberal society and yet it's so illiberal um, yeah. about people who want to be liberal in their yeah. own ways, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think as a gay Christian, I just really desire the right to follow Jesus. And yeah. I see that as a gay right. Yeah. Um, a couple of questions that sort of go hand in hand for me. And, and I, I suppose I'm especially looking uh, from it from the view of uh, those in a Christian faith community who would call themselves Christians. Uh, I don't think the church generally has done very well in having its conversations around uh, homosexuality in our, our Western yeah. culture. So my two questions are these. I, I think probably it's fair to say that um, for those in the, the Christian faith community, especially in Western culture, we haven't had the conversations around sexuality, homosexuality or different forms of sexuality that isn't heterosexuality uh, in a good way. So a couple of questions that go hand in hand for me here is um, one is how should we be having the conversation around um, these sorts of conversations from a community perspective? How, how should we be talking about the issue of sexuality um, even amongst ourselves within a faith community? What's the best way? And then how do we talk to people who are identifying sexually when it, but not heterosexually? Um, what is the best things that we should be having conversations about as we go forward? Yeah, look, I think what's really important is to for Christians to be secure that God loves everybody. And, you know, even if people don't adopt the kind of view I've adopted, like the more traditional you know, classical Christian ethic in some level. I mean, there's ways in which I adopted that aren't classical. And I think there needs to be some, you know, real updating in the Christian world and like how we think about living out the Bible, what I see to be the Bible's ethic. 
but I, I think we need a space for people to question. We need a space of grace, a space where people are given total freedom before God to work things out with him and to make their choices and for people to love in the midst of that and to see that it's quite a different choice to all of other things, you know, other things that we associate with, you know, in the Christian community of sin, you know, like Christians, oh, well, being gay is like being alcoholic, all of these like crazy parallels, which is just terrible, you know, and you can't draw that analogy. Like it's, it's a unique thing that the Christian community really needs to understand. It's not like that, you know, it has a lot more to do with how you're made in the image of God. And like every human being is made a desirous creature and being gay is still good in some way because it's still a reflection of that original, you know, desiring, you know, desiring companionship, desiring romance. But I think the second bit for me that I had to learn about was the fall that like Christians believe we believe that, you know, we're affected by the fall that we're broke, you know, there's a side of us that's also broken. And so being gay, you have to work out those two sides of yourself and what that looks like. And that's just not easy. And people will conclude differently and we need to make sure we love them, you know, and not just ignore them once they make a different choice, but keep in relationship and find the things we can agree on and, and, and share life when we disagree with each other and learn that discipline, learn that deeper love that loves a person, even if they disagree. And that's the love of God. Like I know God will always love me. Even if I decided yet yeah, tomorrow, I don't want to be celibate and I want to go off and do this and that. I mean, yeah, there would be problems with that. I think in my walk with Jesus, but I ultimately think that God will always run after me, you know, and that's really what the mm-hmm. prodigal son is about in the Bible, that God just has this love that will keep going after people, even if they don't turn and give themselves to him. And so that's, something that I just gives me a lot of security in this conversation and I think can create a safe space in the church for the church not to feel like it has to give up its view uh, to love gay people. I think that's cheap love. I think the real love is to keep the view that is clear from God, but to love those who make a different choice and be in deep relationship with them and have conversations and respect Mm -hmm. one another and not attack each other in the media, not attack each other on social media but invite each other over for a Barbie and, you know, have the gay couple with adopted kids over at the church bar, you know, like yeah. just break down these walls, you know, and, yeah. and I think we'll all realize we're a lot more human, a lot more in need of grace, you know, each side of this, 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 this t- supposed debate. Yeah. <laughs> I just think we need to get yeah a bit more real, a bit more human with each other to yeah. create a space. David, I, I want to ask, um, the, the final couple of questions as we go, and, and that's a, about the work that you're doing now. Um, one part of it is you've written this book and put out this book, A, a War of Love. So, and I, I'd love to find out the, um, the, the the deep purpose for you behind that. What, what are you hoping to achieve? One of my favourite questions I ask authors is, mm-hmm. as somebody shuts the final page on that book, what, what are you hoping they're going to walk away with? So that's one question. And then also with the, your work that you're doing at Oxford and and, uh, and, and studying desire from that perspective, um, your, your hopes for, for I suppose, um, people hearing your story and, and hearing the work that you are doing? Yeah, so my hope was always when I wrote the book, uh, 
for a Christian who didn't really understand gay people or LGBTQI plus people to read the book and leave understanding more um, and better equipped to love and have conversation with LGBTQI plus people and also to be encouraged in what the gospel teaches about sexuality as well. And then the other side was for like a gay person, I suppose, who was like me, who's an atheist, to pick it up and be able to understand at bare minimum why Christians believe what they believe and maybe not leaving the book agreeing always with what I ended up concluding, but understanding that it was reasonable and that it was an option. Mm. Um, I mean, I have had many people write to me who have decided I want to follow Jesus. And that's really amazing from an atheist kind of gay background. And so when that happens, you're just kind of thrilled, uh, you know, um, that really was the, it was really just for people to understand as well. The love of God ultimately above and beyond the question of sexuality is like a refresher, I suppose, for the Christian church and the world of God's love and how he loved me so amazingly. And I think there's just a message in that, that I felt was really important to become a book. I wouldn't really like to write a book, you know, under the age of 30, but I just felt there was an urgency in sharing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And, and the work that you're now doing and studying and uh, uh, yeah. what's the what's the desire? Sorry, terrible pun, not intended then, <laughs> uh, around uh, around studying desire that, that, that others would get by the time you finish this. Obviously, you're hoping to take something out, but what are you hoping for everyone else through your study? I think uh, my flatmates often say to me, can you can you talk about anything other than God and desire, David? You know, that. <laughs> Not really, no. That's <laughs> um, what happens to a doctoral student. Um, no, I think I think for me, it was just, I had so many questions. And the more questions I asked, the more theology I engaged in and the greater the itch that I wanted to scratch became. And I couldn't really like move on to something else. It's almost as if I had to do this and I was called to do, to do this doctorate. Uh, and, and, and in academic work, there isn't really much representation of celibate gay Christians. I suppose we're a minority within a minority, um, within a minority. <laughs> if you want minority status, come talk to us. Um, you know, <laughs> um, and I think, you know, academic work's important that minority voices are heard and academic work's all about finding those things at the edge of knowledge and adding them into human knowledge and I think it's exciting to be able to do a small part of that um, on this question at Oxford University and to be given the intellectual freedom to do that is pretty incredible. So that was really the motivation was just to take some time to really think through this, you know, with all the company of, you know, church theologians throughout the ages um, and to take time and not to go too fast in the way I was thinking, yeah. I think that was really important. So that motivated me to do the doctorate here. Yeah, wonderful. Well, we wish you all the best with uh, finishing that off, all the best with uh, the book, A War of Loves as well. And David, uh, thank you for giving so much of your time. It has been just wonderful to have a, a chat with you. Clayson, thank you so much and all the best and really, you know, hoping this blesses people. Absolutely. David Bennett, my guest here on 89.9. The light.